Welcome to Minnesota Matters. I'm Scott Peterson, and I'm joined by MNN's Bill Werner, Tasha Radel, and Mike Grimm. We're going to delve into what's going on in the North Star State. If it matters in Minnesota, we've got it covered. This week, the Derek Chauvin trial so far, the latest from the state capitol and local professional athletes using their platform to sound off on social justice. But first... Last Sunday afternoon, a 20-year-old black man was shot and killed by a Brooklyn Center police officer during a traffic stop. Tasha Radel has more. 20-year-old Dante Wright was stopped for expired tabs. During the stop, police learned Wright had an outstanding warrant and officers tried to take him into custody. As he tried to get back into his vehicle, an officer fired their gun, striking Wright in the chest. He was able to get into the car and drive away, eventually crashing a few blocks away. He died at the scene. Dante Wright's mother, Katie, says she was on the phone with her son during the stop. That he was getting pulled over by the police. And I said, well, why did you get pulled over? He said he had, they pulled him over because he had air fresheners hanging from the rear mirror. Wright said she heard police telling her son to get out of the car. Dante put the phone down. I heard some scruffling. He got out of the car, and I could hear the police officers. Then the, I heard the police officer ask them to hang up the phone. When she got through again to Dante's phone, Wright says he had already been shot. And then when I called back, the girl that he had in the car answered the phone. And it was on a FaceTime. And she said that they shot him. And she pointed the phone towards the driver's seat and my son was laying there unresponsive. He was only 20 years old and he didn't deserve to be shot and killed like this. Word of Dante's death spread and chaos erupted outside the Brooklyn Center Police Department. traumatized time and time and time again by these police murders and it is always an excuse every time it happens they always put it off on something i was afraid or it was an accident we want accountability we want this officer fired immediately i am telling people that the state of minnesota is the most racist state in the union and they are because they are the right they are racist with a smile. What do we want now? What do we want? Justice! What do we want now? What do we want? Justice! What do we want now? What do we want? Justice! What do we want now? Protesters and police continued to clash for several nights. Minnesota State Patrol Colonel Matt Langer says there have been dozens and dozens of arrests for what he called riot and criminal behaviors. Meanwhile, Brooklyn Center Police Chief at the time, Tim Gannon, identified the officer who shot and killed Wright. Kim Potter had been with the department for the past 25 years. Gannon said body camera footage showed Potter after warning her colleagues she was about to use her taser. As I watched the video and listened to the officer's commands, it is my belief that the officer had the intention to deploy their taser, but instead shot Mr. Wright with a single bullet. This news didn't sit well with the parents of Dante. I lost my son. 
he's never coming back. I can't accept that a, a, a mistake. That's not that doesn't even sound right. You know, this officer that's been on the force for 26 plus 26 years. I can't accept that. I would like to see justice served and her held accountable for everything that she's taken from us. Potter was charged with second-degree manslaughter, and her next court appearance is set for May 17th. Governor Tim Walz. We have got to figure out the changes that are necessary, first and foremost, to make sure that a situation where Dante Wright dies for a traffic stop never happens. And then we have to get to a point where we understand that peaceful right to protest and to address grievances and to make changes is heard. We're willing to take this on. We're willing to look to what our weaknesses are, especially around this issue of, of racial equity and, and policing. Dante Wright's funeral will be held next Thursday at noon in Minneapolis. Katie Wright, again, is Dante's mother. I do want accountability, 100% accountability. Mm -hmm. But even then, when that happens, if that even happens, we're still going to bury our son. We're still never going to be able to see our baby boy. MNN will continue to follow this story closely. Back to you, Scott. Thank you, Tasha. Minnesota Matters returns after this. Minnesota Rural Electric Cooperatives. Who are we? We're your neighbors, co-workers, and friends. That's right, we live and work in the community, too. Because of that, we're committed to making sure our electric services stay reliable, affordable, and safe. Throughout the state, Minnesota electric co-ops work independent of each other, but with the same goal, provide power to Minnesota. You have so many other things to worry about. Your electricity isn't one of them. Minnesota Rural Electric Cooperatives, bringing power to the people of Minnesota. Hi, I'm LeVar Burton, and I'm proud to be a book person. How do I choose a book? Sometimes it's the cover, sometimes it's the title. I guess I'm pretty visual. If a book's really impressing me and the writing is really good, I will peek and see what the last paragraph is. Because the endings of books should rock you. I am a book person. And if you're a book person, too, read to a child and spark a lifetime of ambition. Join me at bookpeopleunite.org because reading is fundamental. A public service announcement brought to you by Reading is Fundamental, Library of Congress, and the Ad Council. Welcome back to Minnesota Matters. I'm Scott Peterson. Closing arguments in the Derek Chauvin trial are set to begin on Monday. I recently chatted with former U.S. Attorney for Minnesota Tom Heffelfinger on what he's seen in the trial so far, starting with Derek Chauvin's decision not to testify. In this particular case, it's probably a wise decision uh, because the evidence against him is quite strong and the cross-examination of the prosecution has been quite good throughout. And they have other ways of getting the evidence that they want in front of the jury. Uh, so the reason that's not a surprise is it was a, his testifying would be a high-risk venture uh, with rewards that uh, may not uh, warrant taking that risk. In terms of trying to... Um instill a sort of a reasonable doubt within members of the jury. What do you think that the defense did most effectively? Uh, they focused on two key issues that uh, are, are no surprise. Number one is the use of force. Uh, they uh, had good cross-examination of the prosecution's use of force experts. They had a use of force expert themselves. It wasn't particularly good, but he may have been good enough to instill some doubt on that issue 
with one or two of the jurors, and that's all that's necessary. Um, the, the other issue that is, uh, was highly contested was the medical testimony. Uh, the prosecution had some really good experts, uh, including the testimony of the, the uh, Hennepin County Medical Examiner himself, Mr. Tobin, uh, pulmonologist, was one of the best experts I've ever seen, and he was uh, very effective. But the, pro the defense had an expert of their own. Uh, he uh, took some lumps on cross-examination, but he also instilled some doubt as to whether or not uh, Mr. Floyd died of uh, asphyxiation or died of a combination of drugs and heart ailment. Uh, again, I think that that the goal here is not to, for the defense, was not necessarily to uh, achieve a gold medal, but it was important to establish potential doubt in the eyes of one or more of the jurors. I wanted to get your thoughts. Obviously, the killing of Dante Wright occurred as this trial has been happening. And the defense um, put out a motion that the, the jury should be sequestered during this time so as to not be influenced by the aftermath of Dante Wright's uh, death. Uh, the judge said no. I wanted to get your thoughts on that. Obviously, keeping jurors away from the news is important. The judge made the case that what happened with Dante Wright is, is different from this case. But I, I'd like to get your thoughts on the judge's decision not to sequester the jury. If you recall back early in the trial during jury selection when Minneapolis settled with the Floyd family and it made the newspaper, and the judge in the Chauvin trial, there was a direct reaction. Some jurors were let go who'd already been picked. But at the end of that process, uh, Eric Nelson made the comment to the court that, Judge, I'm at making my motions. These were motions for sequestration and for continuance. I'm making these motions to ensure that my client, Derek Chauvin, gets a fair trial. And this isn't fair. Uh, it's similar to what happened up in Brooklyn Center. Uh, there was a horrible, horrible tragedy. Uh, it's uh, essentially replaced Chauvin on the front pages, uh, and it's in everybody's minds. I, uh, I think the comment that Eric made at the end of uh, his argument about the settlement could be made now, which is, Eric's responsibility is to ensure that Derek Chauvin gets a fair trial. And all of the testimony that all of the evidence and all of the coverage, et cetera, of the, uh, the Wright case is, uh, makes it very difficult for Mr. Chauvin to get a fair trial. I, I think Eric was in his rights to ask for the sequestration of the jurors, especially when the trial at that point was only a week or so from being over. Uh, and, and everybody knew that. Uh, all the lawyers on the Chauvin case knew that. So I, I hope uh, the judge, really what the judge was saying is I trust the jurors in the Chauvin case to follow the instructions of the judge and to not watch TV. Uh, I hope he's right. And then one last thing for you, Tom. Obviously, closing arguments are going to begin on Monday. What will you be looking for from both sides in closing arguments? The first thing, I, the prosecution's got a lot of work to do just to explain the charges. Uh, 
you know, for example, the, the murder uh, three charge, it's got to explain to a jury what a depraved mind means. And they've got to explain to the jury how uh, unintentional murder two still requires proof that he intended to uh, assault uh, Mr. Floyd. Uh, I think the evidence that's come in in the last week about medical probably strengthens the case for a conviction of Mr. Chauvin on the uh, manslaughter culpable negligence count. And I assume that the prosecution is going to work hard to explain that. But they're not going to work so hard that they want to talk the jury into convicting on that charge only and forget the others. So I think what I'm going to be looking for from the prosecution is the law and the elements. Uh, With Mr. Chauvin, I expect Eric is going to work very hard to sow seeds of doubt based on the things we just talked about, the uh, use of force uh, and the reasonableness of the use of force, the reasonable police officer standard on the one hand, and then also that there is uh, compelling evidence that he died from uh, a combination of uh, drugs and uh, heart ailment. In other words, they're going to work hard on establishing doubt. Thank you to my guest, former U.S. Attorney for Minnesota, Tom Heffelfinger. Minnesota Matters returns after this. Welcome back to Minnesota Matters. The stunning events of this week, the shooting of Dante Wright by Brooklyn Center Police Officer Kimberly Potter, even as testimony was in progress less than 10 miles away at the trial of Derek Chauvin, took an already tense situation in the community and ratcheted it up even further. MNN's Bill Werner reports it had the same effect on Minnesota's political scene. Brooklyn Center Police Chief Tim Gannon's comments after he released that body cam video ignited a political firestorm. As I watched the video and listened to the officer's commands, it is my belief that the officer had the intention to deploy their taser, but instead shot Mr. Wright with a single bullet. This appears to me, from what I viewed and the officer's reaction and distress immediately after, that this was an accidental discharge that resulted in a tragic death of Mr. Wright. National civil rights leaders did not buy that explanation. Dealing with a 26-year veteran, if she didn't know in 26 years the difference in size and weight of a gun as opposed to a taser, how was she even on the force that long. At the National Action Network convention in New York City, the Reverend Al Sharpton said second-degree manslaughter is the least charge that now former Officer Potter should face. Attorney Benjamin Crump was more direct the next day in Minneapolis at a news conference with Dante Wright's family. If you consider apples to apples, you had Officer North here in Hennepin County, he shot a white woman. He shot and killed her. He showed great remorse, said it was an accident, did not mean it. He was charged with third-degree murder and convicted of third-degree murder and sentenced to 12 and a half years. Now present before us, we have Officer Potter, a white police officer, kills an unarmed black man, and she's charged with second-degree manslaughter. Our hearts are aching right now. We are in pain right now. And we recognize that this couldn't have happened at a worse time. We recognize that this is happening at a time when 
our community, when all of America, indeed all of the, the world, is watching. That's Brooklyn Center Mayor Mike Elliott. Governor Tim Walz demanded the legislature, quote, finally hold some hearings on some of these reforms. Things that are supported by both law enforcement and community members. Things that we know that would reduce the chance of a routine traffic stop escalating into a loss of life. Just to be very clear, there is no intention as we stand here today of having a single hearing on a single thing to change this. And that's simply not acceptable. That remark appears to be directed at Senate Republicans. GOP leaders point out there are some Democrats in the Minnesota House who are resisting additional police reform measures. The question is, if that hurdle were jumped in the Minnesota House, would a bill move forward in the Minnesota Senate? It feels like it's a powder keg out there. And uh, we have to figure out how to get through it. Senate Republican Majority Leader Paul Gazelka promised hearings within two weeks. We asked Gazelka if substantial police reforms are necessary to avoid igniting what he called that powder keg. I would say absolutely not. We need to remind people of how much was accomplished just within the last year. Gazelka points to the legislature after George Floyd's death, banning chokeholds and warrior training, reforming arbitration, and requiring officers to intervene if another officer does something wrong. Democratic Representative Cedric Fraser from New Hope responded, it's not enough. Anything short of passing meaningful police accountability laws is another hollow ploy that confirms to the traumatized and grieving community that the Senate GOP does not value black lives. It's okay to say black lives matters, but words without action are hollow or duplicitous. If we have time to talk about other things, you can certainly find time on your calendar to put things in place that make sure we don't have another Dante Wright laying on the streets of Brooklyn Center. Governor Walls, Senate Majority Leader Gazelka responded, Republicans are certainly open to talking about police reform, but he says the state budget has to be the priority with only a month remaining to the adjournment deadline. We have to get these budget bills done, and we have limited number of staff that can work through this and through COVID, and so that's the biggest uh, reason why it just takes a little bit of time. And Gazelka pointed out one important part of the Minnesota state budget is funding for public safety. National civil rights leaders coming back to Minneapolis for the conclusion of the Derek Chauvin trial and for the funeral of Dante Wright, attorney Benjamin Crump. We're going to say justice here in New York for Dante Wright so they can hear it in Minnesota to know that we're coming and in saying justice for Dante Wright. The Reverend Al Sharpton echoes. Are our lives worth no more than expired tags? Are our worth lives worth no more than a pack of cigarettes or a counterfeit $20 bill. I mean, the worth of our lives have gone from three-fifths of a man to being less than that. Reverend Sharpton is talking about part of the Compromise of 1787 that got southern states to agree to the U.S. Constitution. Only three-fifths of a state's slave population was included in the total population count, which was used to determine how many representatives a state has in the United States House. What's come to be known as the Three-Fifths Compromise gave the South one-third more seats in the U.S. House and a third more electoral votes to decide who would be president. But even though three-fifths of the slaves were counted as part of a deal to balance political power between the North and the South, they were not allowed to vote. Quick history lesson there, Scott, as we in Minnesota now live events that will probably end up in the history books. Thank you, Bill. Minnesota Matters returns after this.
Did you know that more lives are lost to lung cancer each year than breast, colorectal, and prostate cancers combined? Lung cancer will claim more than 135,000 lives this year. But new treatments have improved survival for many with the disease and offer new hope for many more. So does lung cancer screening with low-dose chest CT. The American Cancer Society and most major professional organizations recommend that adults ages 55 and older with a long history of smoking, even if they have quit, should talk with their doctor to learn more about lung cancer screening. Lung cancer screening saves lives by detecting lung cancer early when it's more successfully treated. So, ask your doctor if lung cancer screening is right for you. And if you smoke, ask your doctor to help you quit. Visit the National Lung Cancer Roundtable website at nlcrt.org. That's nlcrt.org. Welcome back to Minnesota Matters. As social unrest continues in Minnesota, professional athletes are once again using their platform to sound off on social justice. MNN Sports Director Mike Grimm has more. Scott, one of those athletes sounding off is Timberwolves guard Josh Akogi, who's a young African-American man and who says it's been a tough week, and he's trying to understand how something like this has happened again. God's given me the, the gift you know, to be in the position I am to influence others, so if I can get as much truth out there, you know, I'll always do that, especially at a time like this. Every time something like this happens, it just, it just brings me back to, I don't know when, but it was like a a year ago um, on Netflix, there's this um, stand-up Chris Rock does called um, Tambourine. And he says, um, he, he was obviously joking because he's a comedian, but obviously there's a lot of truth to it. He was saying, you know, some some jobs, you know, just can't have, you know, bad apples. Because every time something like this happens, you know, I see the, the, everybody says, you know, there's a lot of good police out there who just have some bad apples. And every time that I see that, I think about, you know, that, that script where Chris Rock um, wrote. And it kind of went like this. So say, you know, I'm starting an airline business, you know, J.O. Airlines. Come fly with J.O. Airlines. And I say, okay, look, all of our pilots are pretty good, but we have a few few bad apples. Would you, would you, would you buy a ticket to J.O. Airlines? Probably not, right? Nah, I, I wouldn't buy a ticket to my own airline. If, if, you know, if that was the kind of stigma going around. Same thing with, like, hospitals. Like, if I was going to a hospital, I needed, you know, somebody needed a implant or something or a procedure done, and they say, look, most of our doctors are good, but we have some bad apples in the hospital. Nobody would go to that hospital. Because there's just some jobs where you can't have bad apples, especially when it's people's, you know, livelihood that's that's at stake. So I think the police industry is the same, same thing. You can't have bad apples, you know. And I'm not here to say that, you know, Obviously, Dante Wright, whether he was right or wrong in that situation, he shouldn't have to pay the price of, of life or death for that. Like, you know, it's been so many situations where I've been wrong, you know, but I shouldn't have to die. I shouldn't have to be at the, like the hands of a police officer, whether somebody lives or not. Like, we played today. We lost. I probably ran five plays wrong today. I shouldn't be killed for it. You know what I'm saying? The other team probably does some, did something wrong today. They shouldn't be killed for it. Like, and and, and it, it just hurts because it's like all of this just could have been prevented. Like, you know, doing my research, like, so in 2020, there was about 45 police officers who've been killed by gunfire. And um, there's been since from the beginning of from January to about December 8th, 
it's been over a thousand police officers who've killed, you know, civilians. And when you take into account there was a whole pandemic where it wasn't even a lot going on last year, that's a kind of high number. And third, about 30 percent, 28 to 30 percent of those thousands of people were were black. And so you're saying probably like about 300 plus people, black people were killed by police officers last year. And we're about 13 percent of the we're about 13 percent of the um, U.S. population. So that's entirely too much. And um, there's definitely a problem. And we have to hold people accountable, like for real, though. You know, it's just a saying I don't and I and I don't want this just to go where it's like, OK, it's just another episode. Oh, yeah, we're going to see let's hold people accountable. And we're going to wait till you know, this dies down and then everybody's going to forget about it. We, we have to just keep having this conversation because it, it's happening too frequent that uh, a young 20 year old kid gets killed not too far from where they're having a trial for another black man getting killed like that that shouldn't happen like it shouldn't be that frequent where somebody gets killed through the same thing that somebody else is being on trial for doing like it, it just like that just doesn't make any sense you know what i'm saying like and um i know she officer said she thought it was a taser but even that just shows you how like subconsciously you know when they see a black kid or anything it's just they're automatically a threat because you have your handgun to the right and your taser is supposed to be to your left. You have to cross your body to ha get your taser. So you should know, you know, where your taser is and you should know where your gun is. And if you're going to arrest the kid, the training also states you want, you should, you want to make arrest near the trunk of the car. So that, that person you're arresting doesn't really have that space to get back into a car to drive away. And if the person was to drive away, there's also a rule stating you don't replace cardio for gunfire. So meaning if somebody takes off running, you don't say because I have to chase them, I can use my gun. That's that's not the case in in, in, in um in the line of duty. And I've done my research, so I know that even regardless of what you know Dante did in that situation, it shouldn't have it shouldn't have been you know a situation where he's he's dead right now. You know, worst case scenario, you let him go. You got his tag. Obviously, you looked him up. You have his information to know that there was even a warrant out for his arrest. So you can. Go get him, you know. Obviously, I know the address is stated there where he lives. You can you can find him even if he gets away. That's your police. That's the police's job. It's the police. But just it's just so sad. It's 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 really so sad, and it's even heartbreaking. It's happening in the community that you know. Obviously, that I'm playing in because it could be anybody. I'm not far removed from it. You know, I have a family. Um, I have a little brother, older brothers, older sister. They're not far removed from it, and it's just it's just sickening. It's sad. It's disgusting. And it just has to stop. Um, but right now, for me, um, I'm just trying to see, you know, what avenues that I can do to, you know, be more effective. It's just hard. Like, it's you know, what do you do to fix this? Obviously, like, it just doesn't stop. So, like, what what can we do to fix this? Like, we've protested, and I'm pretty sure they, we're going to keep protesting. You know, every, like we've done everything that you could possibly do. But I mean, obviously, we can't stop now. But I just try to figure, just trying to figure out something else that I could do to be more, play my part and be more, you know, effective and you know, make a change. Scott, back to you. That's MNN Sports Director Mike Grimm with Timberwolves guard Josh Okagie. That's going to do it for us for this week. Thank you for listening, and please tune in again next week for Minnesota Matters on this MNN station. Yeah.